When Liz and I were a young married couple, uh, we started something that really helped to keep our marriage strong and fresh and alive over the years. And in fact, we still do this simple little practice that really continues to invigorate and strengthen our marriage. Uh, We will go to a coffee shop and she will bring all of the calendar of events of all of our kids and all the things that they're doing when they were in those really super busy season of life. There was a lot of stuff, you know, meet the homeroom mom and go to this dance recital and this ball game and all those types of things. She would bring all of that. I would bring all my calendar things from the church and then we would synthesize and synchronize our calendars together with all the stuff that's going to happen. And we wouldn't just look at a week or two. We would look at four months, six months out. We would plan way out. And then we would do this one thing. We would pick nights that were going to be our date nights. And before kids, it was once a week when we were really in the thick of it with lots of stuff going on. We'd go down to once a month or twice a month. But nevertheless, we would pick these certain date nights because those were the nights when everything else was pushed aside and we could just really focus on our relationship. And that was proved to be very, very helpful over the years. But now this, what I'm about to tell you has never happened, but just imagine what it would be like if we had a date night set for Tuesday night. And so I... I text her, you know, maybe on Monday, and I'm like, hey, man, I'm looking forward to our date night, you know, Tuesday night, it's going to be our date night, and she doesn't text back. And so I'm like, oh, okay, well, maybe I'll just call. So I call, and it goes right to voicemail, and I say, hey, I'm looking forward to our date night, and, and I hope we're still on, you know, let me know, and, and no, no reply. I, I shoot off an email, um, hey, I left you a voicemail, um, are we still on for Tuesday, is that still good? No reply. I get home, and I say, hey, you know, I sent you a text, and a, a voicemail, and an email, and a, and a pigeon, and a, a smoke signal, and and, and she doesn't make eye contact, just kind of walks in the other room. Now, if that were to happen, something's wrong, right? All right, guys, clue. That would be something wrong, all right? Something's not right. I'd go, okay, or did I do something wrong or something? So I'm not good here because it, you can't, it's hard to have a relationship with someone that doesn't respond back to you, right? You, you extend your, your affection and then there's a response back. Well, listen, while that may not happen in our marriage, it certainly happens with many people in their relationship with God. Because God extends his love to us and God communicates his love toward us, but many times we do not respond. You say, well, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to respond? One word, worship. Worship. Worship is how we respond to God. Now, worship is not just music, as we just heard on the video. It's not just uh, singing a certain chorus. Worship is not, because uh, you may say, well, I'm not really the artsy kind. I don't really carry a tune. I'm not really, I'm not really good at music. But it's not about that. Worship is much broader than that. Worship is, is about your devotion to God. It's about your service to God. It's about your, you giving to God and, and, and loving God and all the things that wrap up in your relationship with him. Worship is much bigger than music. But worship matters to God. You know, we're in this series, Do What Matters, and we said last week that nothing matters more than knowing Jesus, right? But also, right next to it is today what we're talking about, and the way that you continue that relationship of knowing Jesus is through worship. In fact, let me give you a definition of worship that's going to be kind of what we're going to use for the rest of our time this morning, and I want you to write down. It's not on the screen, but I want you to write this down. Here it is. Worship is your response Worship is your response to 
to who God is and what he has done. Worship is your response to who God is and what he has done. And I want to take you to a passage that really unpacks why worship matters and and what that should look like in your life and in my life. So if you have a Bible, I want you to grab it. I want you to open it up. If you didn't bring one, there's one at the seat rack with you. Open up to Psalm 103. Psalm 103. Psalm 103 is one of my favorite psalms. And uh, I was thinking about it this week. Well, actually, a couple of weeks ago, I was thinking I may preach out of Psalm 103. And then uh, last Monday, I sat down to do my daily Bible reading and opened up to the day that I was supposed to read, and it was Psalm 103. And I said, okay, for sure, Psalm 103 is what we're talking about today. It's a psalm uh, from King David, the great king of Israel, who had a real heart for worship. David wrote the majority of the psalms, but this particular is, is one of my favorite psalms, and it's all about how we worship God. There, there's nothing in here where David requests something from God. He only praises God for what he has done. And so we're going to dive into this psalm because it teaches us why worship matters, okay? So let's just look at it. Psalm 103, beginning at verse 1. If you're with me, say Amen. All right, this is the word of God. My soul, bless the Lord, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. My soul, bless the Lord, and do not forget all his benefits. He forgives all your iniquities. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with faithful love and compassion He satisfies you with good things. Your youth is renewed like the eagle. Now stop right there for just a minute. I want you to write this first thought down. I'm going to give you a couple of things to think about. Here's the first one I want you to write down. Your worship starts in your heart. Your worship starts in your heart. Now you may immediately push back on that and say, well, Craig, no, no, I don't agree with that. You know, because worship really starts in heaven. Worship starts with God, right? God is the one we're to worship. Heaven, there's a lot of worship going on. Worship starts there, and then we kind of get on board with that. So worship doesn't start with me. It starts in heaven, and I respond to that. Well, that is true in some sense. But listen to me. If our definition of worship is worship is your response to who God is and what he's done, then your response has to start in you. Your response starts in your heart. And that's why David starts with himself right off the bat. He starts talking to himself. He says, my soul, bless the Lord. And all that is with me, bless his only. My soul, right? What is he doing? He's talking to himself. Some of you talk to yourself, right? I know, I know. Don't raise your hand, I know. Some of you talk to yourself. Some of you talk to yourself a little too much, right? I've heard that if you start answering yourself, then you really got problems, right? Uh, But David is talking to himself, and he's telling himself, hey, you need to worship God. Hey, self, hey, soul, worship God. You see, worship starts, get this, in the quietness of your soul when you think and ponder and reflect on who God is and what he's done. It starts in your heart. Put it this way, worship doesn't start just when the band starts. Worship doesn't start when the the organ prelude happens. Worship doesn't start uh, when the worship team uh, comes out with the first number. Worship doesn't start when the choir parades in and opens up their song, their song books for an anthem. Worship doesn't start when the room gets dark. Worship doesn't start when sun comes streaming through the stained glass. 
Worship starts in here. In your own heart, when you ponder who God is and what he has done. I love it how somebody uh, put it. They said, uh, the song is in the heart before it's in the room. I love that. It's in the heart before it's ever in the room. And that can happen anytime. That can happen anywhere. It can happen when you're on your commute into work. That can happen when you're in the shower. That can happen when you're working around the house. That can happen when you take these small little breaks between your packed work week. You can stop and you can ponder who God is and what he has done. And that's where worship starts. Now, listen, no one is responsible for your worship but you. You have to say, I'm going to enter in and I'm going to worship God. That is a choice that you make in your heart. You can't say, well, you know, if they did this song, I would really worship, but I can't really worship to that. No, no, it starts inside. It starts in your heart. And that's why David starts talking to himself. He said, worship starts with me. And you say, well, how do I, I, sometimes, Craig, I don't really think about worship. It's not that I don't want to worship God. I just don't really think about it, right? I'm just busy. I got a lot of things going on. How can I move my heart to worship God? That's what David is doing. He's kind of priming the pump of his heart. All right, come on, heart, let's worship God. Come on, soul, let's worship God. So what does he do to get worship going in his own heart? He remembers. Look at what he says. Verse two, he said, my soul, bless the Lord, and do not forget all his benefits. You know, most believe that David was an old man when he wrote this psalm. And if he was an old man, then he was in the best position to worship God. Why? Because he's lived long enough to catalog all the things that God has done for him. Does that mean that God doesn't like the worship of children? Absolutely not. God loves the worship of children, right? But there's difference between the worship of a child and the worship of an older man or older woman who's walked with God a long time. It's kind of like the difference between a couple when they get married right at the beginning and then when they've been married a long, long time, right? The first one, if you ask a couple, uh, they'll say, Pastor Craig, we just love each other. We just love each other. And they do love each other. But it is a attractional, infatuation, young love, which is a beautiful thing in and of itself. But it's very different than the love after 30 years, after 40 years, after 60 years. Why? That's a mature love because it's gone through the highs and the lows and the struggles. And they've learned to love each other in a depth that this couple doesn't yet experience yet. And that's the worship of someone who has walked with God many, many years. They have begun to catalog all the different things that God has done, all the ways God has provided, all the way God has intervened, all the way God has healed, all the way God has restored. Even their awareness of their own sinfulness becomes acute as you get older and you begin to realize what God has actually done for you. And then as you get closer to heaven, then you become to anticipate what God has in store for you there. And so worship begins to grow and mature as you get older. And I think that's what David's doing here. And yet he gives us a little list of things we can thank God for, things that we can remember about God in verse 3. Now, this is not a, obviously an exhaustive list, but it's, it's in a good place to start. Look at verse 3. He says, well, what has God done for me? What can I remember of his goodness? Well, he forgives all your iniquity. He heals your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with faithful love and compassion. He satisfies you with good things. Your youth is renewed like the eagle. Let me ask you something. Has God ever forgiven you for anything? Has God ever uh, ever showed his grace and his kindness to you? Has he ever blessed you with something you didn't deserve? 
Has he ever, uh, has he ever pulled you out of the pit of despair or despondency or depression when you could not work yourself out of it? He just grabbed you and pulled you out and set you on solid ground. Has he ever renewed your strength when you were tired and worn out or jaded? Listen, if he has done any of these things in your life, then you are a great candidate for worshiping God. Every single one. Do not forget one thing that he has done. You know, sometimes when we're singing a song about God's goodness, sometimes I'll just stop singing and I'll just start remembering Lord, you were so good, man. I remember when I was a kid and you, you did this for me. And I remember when I was, we were young married, we did this. And God, how you provided here and how I prayed for that. And you answered. And my mind will go back to this file that, that I pull up of pictures of moments in time. And God was faithful to me. And all I can do is say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. What am I doing? I'm priming the pump of my heart to worship God. Because I'm remembering all of his benefits. There used to be an old hymn we used to sing about this that says, count your many blessings. Anybody remember that song? Name them, what? One by one. And then at the end of it, it says, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Why is it a surprise? Because we've forgotten. (laughs) We've forgotten all the things that God has done for us. We're on to the next request instead of going, wow, God, if you never bless me again, you've done so much more than I deserve. See, worship starts right here. It starts in your heart. It starts in your soul when you remember the goodness of God. But it doesn't end there. That's not where worship stays. The next thing that I want you to understand is that worship really changes our perspective. Worship starts in the heart, but it also changes our perspective. And what's interesting is when you start in verse 6, there's a shift that happens because now David is no longer talking to his heart. Now he's talking to the community, all right? The community of believers. And you'll find, you'll notice that the pronouns me and my change to we and our and us. And now he's talking to the community. And he's talking about what God has done uh, for them. Look at verse 6. He said, the Lord executes acts of righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He revealed his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. Stop right there. What he's basically saying is, hey, community, remember how God has always acted justly toward us, how he's always been righteous toward us. Remember what he did for Moses when he, Moses led us out of bondage in Israel. Remember what he did for us? So he's, he's calling the community to remember what God has done for them as a people. Not just him as an individual person. And then look, I just love verse 8. Look at it. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in faithful love. He will not always accuse us or be angry forever. He, will not de- he has not dealt with us as our sins deserve or repaid us according to our iniquity. Listen, this is why we worship together. If you're not a Christian here and you're just kind of kicking the tires of the Christian faith, I'm so glad you're here. You're in a safe place. You're in a good place to get your answers or your questions answered. But here's what I want you to understand. You may wonder, why do Christians get so excited in worship? Why do we raise our hands? Why do we sing out loud? Why are some emotional when we sing? Why do we kneel and pray? Why do we give? Why do we open up our Bibles and study? Why do we do all this kind of stuff? 
Because we have never gotten over what Jesus has done for us. That he is slow in his justice and he's great in his compassion and great in his mercy and he did not pay us what we deserved. We deserve judgment, right? But he didn't give that. He put that on Christ and he gave us mercy and righteousness and goodness and we cannot get over it. This is why we sing the songs we sing. This is why we sing, God, you do wonderful things. God, you do wonderful things. You're here with us. Anything can happen. What are we doing? We're saying to each other, we're reminding each other what God has done. And and we're reminding and we're singing together about who God is and what he's done. Listen, that's why we come together. Because we've never gotten over the goodness and the graciousness of God. I saw a video of a young man this week and he was saying, you know, Christianity is really just about God's forgiveness and his love and and his mercy. And I thought, you know, that's exactly right. And we need to be reminded of that. Because throughout the week we forget. We forget all the things that God has done. We forget how much you are loved and I am loved by God. In fact, David pauses here for a minute and, and he says, just in case you've forgotten how loved you are by God. Just in case that's kind of grown old on you, let me just remind you. And he gives these three little illustrations of God's love just buried right in the middle of this psalm. Look at it. The first illustration is um, verse 11. He says, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his faithful love toward those who fear him. He said, I want you to go outside and I want you to look up in the stars on a clear night and I want you to see how the constellations and the stars and I want you to imagine that the distance from you to there that's how much I love you I love you to the stars and back we know now what the Hebrew writer here did not know that if you were to get in a little capsule and you were going to go the speed of light Can you imagine traveling the speed of light? And you wanted to traverse from one end of the Milky Way to the other end of the Milky Way, it would take you 150,000 years to go that distance. If you wanted to get in that castle going the speed of light and traverse the breadth of what is called known observable space, it would take you 93 billion years. The vastness. Is beyond our comprehension. And God says, you want to know how much I love you? It's that much. You have no idea how much I love you. If that illustration doesn't communicate to your heart, then maybe the next one will. It's in verse 12. In verse 12, he says this. He said, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. East and west never meet. They're two lines that never meet. They never intersect right? It's a picture of infinity, right? No matter where you're going east, you're always going east. Where you're going west, you're always going west. They never intersect. And what he's saying is that your, you and your sin have been removed and they will never again intersect, which by the way is really good news. Would you not agree with that? 
really good news that he says i've removed it it's gone you're never going to like somehow somewhere around the corner it's going to stick his head up again no it is removed from you as far as the east is from the west that's what i've done for you the first is how much i love you the next how much i've done for you and then if that doesn't resonate within you then maybe the third illustration will and that's in verse 13 he says uh as a father has compassion on his children So the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Listen, I I don't know, maybe this one resonates with me the most because I'm a dad. But I love my daughters. And I wouldn't, I mean, I move heaven and earth to protect them, to provide for them, to help them, to be there for them. And he's saying, listen, I love you like a dad who is always faithful. I love you like a dad who has compassion and who cares about you. This is why we worship together, folks. This is why we gather, and this is why we sing, and this is why we worship together, because we need to remind each other these things. We look at each other and we say, hey, he's a good father. And we sing songs about being a good father. And we remind ourselves of his faithful love that endures forever. And and we sing songs about that. We remind ourselves uh, that he's removed our sin. And we sing lyrics about that. Why? Because as a community, this is what he has done for us. And this is why we need to remind ourselves. And you may say, well, why does God love us so much? Why does God do that? Why did God even do that? And so he answers that in verse 14. I mean, this is right here. Look at verse 14. He said, for he knows that what we're made of, remembering that we are dust, as far uh, as for man, his days are like grass. He blooms like a flower of the field. When the wind passes over it, it vanishes, and its place is no longer known. Just underline the words he knows. Why does God love us so much? Because he knows. He knows where you're from. He knows your background. He knows your hurts, your pain. He knows your hangups. He knows your tendency towards sin. He knows what's in your mind. He knows your thought life. He knows your pride problem. He knows all those things. He knows your fears for the future. He knows the struggle that you're going through. He knows your feelings of inferiority. And, and bouts with depression. He knows all those things. And yet, he loves you anyway. And yet, he loves you anyway. Many years ago when, this was many, many years ago, our youngest daughter was still in a baby carrier. All right, so let's t- let you know how long ago this was. There was a song by Dennis Jernigan, who was a popular Christian songwriter at the time, and he had the song, and the chorus of the song uh, went something like this. How I love you, Lord, I love you. How I love you, Lord, I love you. How I love you. This was a popular song, and so we'd sing a lot. We'd put the girls in the car seat. We'd turn on uh, this song, and we'd sing it. You know, this was just part of our life, coming and going Life in the minivan had this song usually in it, all right? And uh, so one, one afternoon, I had Abby buckled in the back seat, and uh, I'm driving. This song kind of comes to my mind, except I made a lyric change. And I started singing, how I love you, Abby, I love you. How I love you, Abby, I love you. How I love you. 
And I, I was just driving along. I didn't think she was even paying attention. And then I heard this little voice in the back seat. How I love you, Daddy, I love you. How I love you, Daddy, I love you. How I love you. That's what worship is like. Worship is when our Father says, I love you. I love you as high as the stars are. I, I've, I love you so much, I'm going to remove your sin from the east and the west. I'm a Father that loves you. And in response to what God has said to us, we say, Daddy, we love you back. This is why we worship. And listen, when we gather together, there's something special that happens. Listen, by the way, this is why we need to come together physically to get together because the scripture tells us that we're to encourage one another with these truths. We're to remind ourselves. Ephesians chapter five says this, speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, he said, you're supposed to get together and speak to each other and sing to each other and stimulate and remind each other. And you can't do that just listening to praise songs on Spotify. You can't do that just watching services online. Why? Because you can't speak to one another. And so there's something that unique that happens when we get in a room and we get with other believers and we together declare the goodness of God and we hear each other say it and we sing it together and we remind ourselves again we have a loving Father. So David not only tells himself, hey, self, soul, bless the Lord, but he says the community, come on, people. Let's bless the Lord together. Let's remind ourselves what he's done for us. And it, that totally changes you. If you, go, if you get in a room of believers that worship like that, it changes your perspective. Because if you come into the room and, man, you're kind of strutting because, man, this quarter is better than the last quarter and I'm year over year on growth and, man, I got this thing going on and, man, I'm looking good. I lost 15 pounds. I've been to the gym, you know, and I, I, I'm looking great. And, man, we got this bonus and I'm going to do here and I'm going to do that. Man, I got it all down. Then you come before God and you're reminded, well, yeah, you're kind of like a flower that blooms, but the wind blows and poof, it's all gone. And you're nothing but made of dust and the kingdoms you're building are so temporary and so you come before God and you realize what you need is him just like everybody else and if you come into the room and you're beat down and ground down by the week and you've been listening to the devil chirping in your ear that you're no good and you're damaged goods and you can never be good and that God doesn't love you and nobody can love you and you'll never be used by God and you're so beat down then you come into this room and your father lifts your head and he says I love you and that will never change you see it changes our perspective so David calls himself to worship God and he calls the community to worship God. And then he does one more thing. Basically, he says, and jot this last thought down, is that worship echoes, your worship echoes into eternity. It echoes into eternity. And, and here he talks about heaven and eternity. 
And he goes from himself to the community, and then it just gets bigger. Then he just retreats all the way to heaven. Check out what he says. Look at verse uh, 17. But from eternity to eternity, the Lord's faithful love is toward those who fear him and his righteousness toward the grandchildren of those who keep his covenant, who remember to observe his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, all his angels of great strength who do his word, obedient to his command. Bless the Lord, all his armies, his servants who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all the places where he rules. You get that? So he's like, he's talking and he's saying, man, this worship thing is not just for the moment, it's for all eternity. He's like, if if there was a cord that stretched as far as you could see into eternity past, and stretches as far as you can see into eternity present, that is the cord of worship. That is the ribbon of worship from time to time, age to age, that will never, never, ever end. And yet he says, you can join in that chorus even though your life is a speck even though your life is so brief you can enter into that chorus of worship and you can contribute a verse you can contribute a refrain of the worship of this great God he talks about God's kingdom established and it's this picture of heaven and then he just starts talking to heaven. I just love this. I mean, he's just like telling everybody to worship, right? He's telling himself, he's telling the community. And then he starts talking to heaven. He says, hey, you angels, worship God. I mean, angels were created to worship God. We're going to talk about angels later, later on this year. But, but angels are created to worship God. In fact, there's a certain group of angels called seraphim that, that we learn actually hover in the presence of God. And they have six wings. Two, they cover their face. Two, they cover their feet. And with two, they fly. And all they do all day long is they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with your glory. They declare the goodness of God. And he says, hey, angels, don't ever stop worshiping him. He's worthy. And then he turns to the the people else, and he says, oh, and you armies, and you people who do the Lord's work in heaven, you worship him too. And I think really this is a picture of what we see in Revelation 4 and 5, where there's this beautiful picture of heaven. I don't know what you've got in your mind about what worship in heaven might look like, but there's a beautiful picture here of Christ on the throne and there are 24 thrones of elders and then behind them are angels and created beings that are worshiping God and then there's this mass multitude beyond comprehension and they all fall down and they begin to worship Jesus and this is what they say they say worthy is a lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. That's what David has in mind here. He says, all you in heaven, don't ever stop worshiping the Lord. He's worthy of it. And then he just gets to the end of himself and he just says, you know what? Just every people, all creation, everywhere, just just worship God. That's what we were created for. David calls us to worship. He calls himself. He calls a community. And he says, listen, this worship is going to echo into eternity. And when we worship God, we're just merging ourselves with a heartbeat of God that is already happening in heaven. And we join in with what the angels are doing right 
now. Worship matters. It matters to God. It matters to us. This is what we were made for. And then David ends this psalm with the same words he started it. He says, my soul, bless the Lord. He starts with himself to the community, to all of heaven and all of creation, and then he comes all the way back down to his choice, his decision, his heart. You see, worship is your response to who God is and what he's done. And only you can give it. It starts in your heart. It changes our perspective. It echoes into eternity, but it happens right now by choice. And the scripture says that God is looking for worshipers. Even in this room, he's looking. Is there anybody here that has received the benefits that I've given that is willing and ready to worship me? It's your decision.